0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. And if you have a Bible, you can open up to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're we're week 2 into our new sermon series called Enough. It is a verse-by-verse study through the book of Colossians. Um, And uh, last week we considered in the very first eight verses, the reality of the gospel, how the gospel itself transforms and changes people's lives. And uh, we, we looked at seven different realities of the gospel. If you missed the message, you can go back and check it out on our website or through iTunes or Google Play. Um, just, just look up uh, Calvary Chapel, Columbia, and you can check that message out. As we move into verses 9 through 14 this morning, uh, what we're going to see is, you know, we, we've, we've received the gospel, right? So what now? What what now? What is life like after receiving the gospel? What is life beyond the gospel? It's not that we're moving past the gospel. Don't misunderstand the title of the message. It's what do we do now that we have the gospel in our lives? How do we live our lives? And that's what Paul is going to show us through a prayer that he prays for these uh, these believers in Colossae. So stand with me, and we're going to read verses nine through fourteen this morning. Colossians chapter one, verses nine through fourteen. giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transformed, or transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of our sins. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you now to just open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you desire to speak to us. Lord, transform us, change us. We open ourselves now to you. We ask your Holy Spirit to teach us and uh, just help us to see you more clearly today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. A, a little boy was misbehaving one time and he had, his mother had said, listen, enough is enough. You go to your room and I want you to think about what you're doing and when you have come to the reality of what you're doing, then I want you to pray and ask God to help you. So the little boy went into the room, and he prayed, and he prayed, or he thought, and he thought, and he thought about, what is my mom talking about? You know how you do. Well, what is she talking about? I have no idea what she's talking about. But he came to the realization of what was going on there, and so he prayed, and he did as his mom said, and he came out, and she was in the kitchen, and he said, Mom, I did what you said. And she said, well, good, son. I'm glad that you have, have come to the realization and that you prayed for God to help you uh, to stop misbehaving. And he goes, that's not what I prayed. I prayed that, that God would give you the strength to put up with me, you know. And uh, isn't that, so oftentimes when we pray, we're praying the wrong prayer. So oftentimes when we're praying, we're asking God to change somebody else, and we're not asking God to change us. We're, we're, we're saying, God, will you change this situation, or will you change this person, or will you, will you, um, you know, we're not praying, God, will you transform me in the midst of it? And not that you don't pray those prayers, but oftentimes we don't. Paul begins to pray a prayer here for these believers in Colossae that would say, Lord, will you change them? Will you change the believers in the city? You see, in the the city of Colossae, as we remember last week, the issue was some heresy that was going on, and we don't know all of the heresy, but as you read through the letter to the, to the, to the believers there, you can, you can kind of um, gather some of the things that are going on there, that they have this, they have the, they're facing the Gnostics who are, who are telling them that really there is, uh, that the flesh in, is inherently evil, therefore it doesn't matter what you do, only spirit is good, and, and also with that thought that that means that Jesus couldn't have been God because he embodied the flesh... So they had this, this kind of a heresy going on. They also had a lot of issues with Judaism and in terms of, you know, a Christ-plus kind of salvation where it was, yes, you can have Christ and that's great, but, you know, you have to celebrate the festivals, you have to, you know, obey the Sabbath, you have to do all these things. And so uh, there was these kinds of things that will be mentioned as we move through the letter. But but Paul begins to pray not that God would change the culture, not that God would would, would help them to, you know, that he would take away the opposition, but that God would, in the midst of this situation, he would transform and change these believers, that they would shine even brighter. You know, after we've received the gospel, that should be the prayer. No matter where we find ourselves in life, no matter what we find ourselves doing, the prayer should be, God, will you continue to transform me? Will you help the gospel to take such root in my life that I never become stagnant, that, I, that I'm constantly growing in you? And as I grow in you, Lord, that then I'm going into the world and I'm doing what you're calling me to do. And then, Lord, that I'm giving as you call me to give. That's, the, that's really the vision of our church right now is to grow, go, and give you know that we would grow we, we need to grow you know life beyond the gospel is a life of fruitful growing it's you're meant to continually be transformed and changed like your life should you know you're you're like a tree and that that fruit should just continue to blossom that the tree should continue to to get bigger and bigger and you know we're not just people that are that have no mission we're not people that are sitting here waiting for Jesus to come back to pick us up like we have a purpose and and we have been sent by God into the world, and we need to be bearing fruit. We need to be growing, and and as we do that, we will really be able to um, fulfill all that God has set before us. Now, there's two specific kinds of prayer that Paul prays in these verses. First is for internal growth. He he prays for knowledge. He says, you got to change internally. Then he prays for external growth, and what that suggests to us is that you know you can grow internally and not externally you can receive knowledge and it not really transform your life and we see this all the time where we we, we maybe have read a bible study you know gotten got to the word of god and you know maybe it's talking about a specific subject let's just take anger for instance and, you know, you just got done reading, you know, don't be, don't be angry and, you know, it's really not edifying, it's not glorifying to God or whatever the passage might be. And then, it's, you know, and then, then your dog does something, you're like, you know, and, and you just blow, and you're like, wait a second, I had the knowledge, but what happened? I didn't have the wisdom. I didn't have the understanding. I didn't apply it to my life. I'm not, am I growing? That's the question. You got, you know, you can sit through Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. You can read the Word of God over and over and over again. I don't know how many times you've read, read it cover to cover. The question isn't how much you've done. The question is how much has it done in you? How much are you transforming? How much are you being changed? That's really the question. So Paul prays for e- internal growth because without internal growth, you'll never grow externally. But it's possible to receive knowledge and not allow it to grow externally. And so he prays both of these prayers. First, we're going to look at the internal growth, the, the prayer for internal growth in, in verse 9, Paul says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, notice the words there, and so. That, those words could be translated on account of this or for this reason. What it's doing, it's almost like a therefore. It's drawing you back to what Paul just got done saying. What did Paul just get done saying? He just got done talking about, you know, really how, um, how the gospel impacts our lives and what we're headed into. And, in fact, in uh, the very last verse that we just read, or the, the, he, he says, uh, he's talking about a Epaphras, that he's a faithful minister um, of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us the love in the Spirit. And so, therefore ever since I heard of what God was doing in your life, and he's heard about their faith. He's heard about their love. He's heard about, you know, the hope that's laid up in heaven for them. He's heard about these things, and so I'm going to pray, and I'm not going to pray that God would take you out of the situation, that he would, he would, he would, Lord, stop those people in Colossae from, you know, spreading this heresy. He's going to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to pray that God will, will set you ablaze and you will, you will burn that much brighter in, in darkness because you see light cast in darkness. You, you see the distinction. The more God sets you ablaze, the more distinct you are in your culture. And so he's going to pray that prayer for them. And, and, and so from the day that they heard, since Epaphras had traveled some 1,000 or 1,100 miles um you know to rome where paul is and he in prison and he's telling him about these believers here in Colossae and he's telling the man they're a great group of people god is doing amazing things but there's some issues that we need to have some clarification on we need to hear the first thing paul does is he doesn't say well let me tell you what i think that's what we do the first thing he says is why don't we pray why don't we pray why don't we ask god to do a work in our hearts first and then we'll talk about the heresies, but let's ask God to transform and change our lives. This is a progressive prayer. He's saying, Lord, I want these believers in Colossae to be continually transformed and, and, and that they would begin to, they would be a brighter light in the midst of their culture. Paul's praying for, listen to this: the knowledge of the will of God and wisdom. Um, you know, and understanding. He's praying for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. How do those work together? How does knowledge work together with wisdom and understanding? Think of it like a computer. And in a computer, you have a program. That's the application, right? But you also have data, which is essentially driving that application. And knowledge is the data that's, that's driving the application, and wisdom is the application of that data. So when you put a command in, you know, it's, it's going to, to, to the knowledge base, and it's saying, okay, what do I do with this? And wisdom applies whatever it is that you've input. The Holy Spirit, when you allow the Word of God into your life, it becomes a database. And when you live your life, you know, you go out into the world, and you encounter a situation, the Holy Spirit brings up the data... And then God gives you wisdom in order to apply that data. Does that make sense? Like you need to have knowledge, but you also need to have wisdom. That is exactly why when Solomon prayed after God saying, hey, you can have anything you want, Solomon said, oh, give me knowledge and wisdom. Dude, the the guy obviously got it already. He said, man, if I have knowledge and wisdom, I'll have everything. He understood. He said, God, I want to know and I want to apply whatever I know. So will you put your knowledge in me and will you give me the wisdom to apply it to my life? And man, he was the most, he w- he was the most wise person in the world. People traveled from all around to see the glory of Solomon and all of his wisdom. And Paul's prayer for these believers is that they would have not just knowledge because there's plenty of people in Colossae that have knowledge. They're full of philosophy. They don't need more just knowledge, simply knowledge. They need knowledge with knowledge of the will of God. Knowledge of the will of God. It's a specific knowledge. And we all want to, you know, we think that the will of God is some mystical thing that God is hiding from us that he, you know, it's so hard to know. It's really not hard to know. And in fact, most of our lives, um, you know, we can can find God's will in his word. We don't have to pray a specific prayer that God would reveal his specific will. He's given you tons of, of his will and his word you know you 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 simply examine your life against the word and you say Lord how is my life uh, you know am I living out your will just look in the word parallel it to your life does God have a specific plan for your life yes and I promise you if you will just seek knowledge and and, and allow the word of God to, to to take root in your heart you'll know the specific plan he'll lead you the specific plan but, but, you know, oftentimes we're not doing the, the, the simple things first, like just simply applying what we do know, but we want them to give more. And so we need to be faithful with what he's given us. You know, we know plenty of things that are the will of God through the word of God. But Paul is playing, praying for the will of God in their life, that they would have the knowledge of the will of God, that they would then have the wisdom and understanding to, um, to apply it to their lives. As he goes on here in verse 10, he, he, he shifts his prayer and he says, Lord, uh, not only do they need knowledge of your will and, and wisdom and understanding, but so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So transform them internally that you might transform them externally is what he's praying for. He's saying it's got to start. And, and, and the process is... is exactly as it should be the the priority should be seeking the Lord first seeking wisdom seeking understanding seeking knowledge and then saying Lord let my let my walk match what I know let my walk match what I know and so let me let me grow externally as well Paul's praying for the right kind of walk he's, he's praying for them to be to have a walk that is worthy Of the Lord fully pleasing to him and when he says that by the way do you know that that means that there is a walk that Christians can walk that is not pleasing to the Lord that is not worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing him do you know that essentially what he's saying is there is is a different kind of a walk that a Christian can walk so oftentimes when we see somebody off track we like to throw out the well they probably aren't saved that might not be the case at all, actually. You know, it's really, not our, it's really not our job to determine whether somebody's saved or not. Like, yeah, we'll know the fruits of the person, but, but if somebody's off track, the Bible tells us you who are spiritual in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, restore that person with a spirit of gentleness. Like, our call is to, to, to draw them back. Like, say, hey, man, what are you doing? It's not really to determine whether it's, well, they're just not saved. As if that's going to help. Here's the reality, is that we can walk a- apart from the will of God and be believers. We do it. You do it. I do it. And, and you know, hopefully we, don't, hopefully we don't do it a lot. Hopefully we're, we're, we're being transformed and changed. We're not sinless, but we sin less, right? We don't believe in sinless perfection. We don't believe that the Bible teaches that, but we do believe that, that when God takes root in your heart and when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, but dwells inside of you, that you're going to be a new person because the bible says that you'll you will change you will be transformed there is a possibility for you to be a christian and walk in a manner that is not worthy of the lord that is not pleasing to him and in fact i think the writer of hebrews in hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 through chapter 6 verse 3 kind of insinuate that and actually pray you know s- suggest that to us listen to what it says hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 about this we have much to say And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So these are believers that are dull of hearing, like they're, they're, they're getting knowledge, but they're not applying. They have no wisdom. They have no understanding. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish uh, good from evil therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward god and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and this we will do if god permits now What he is saying is not, you know, when you get to chapter 6, verse 1, what he's saying is not like, hey, we move past the gospel. Like we've moved past the foundation of, you know, Jesus Christ and him crucified, the cross and the blood of Christ and what it does for our lives. No, we'll, we'll forever, like I said last week, we will forever be trying to get to the bottom of that. Right? The gospel is so deep and so rich that we will never, ever get... To the bottom of it and so often we 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 have a surface level understanding of the cross and and by the way every time you stand before the cross you know what happens it shows you who you are every time you stand before the cross it shows you who you are and really how much you need jesus and so it's great that it's it's really important that we don't ever move past the gospel and that's what we talked about last week this writer in the, in, in the book of Hebrews is not saying move past the gospel. What he's saying is you should have such, you should have the foundation of the gospel in your life, but then you should be growing in other things. Like you should be growing in your knowledge of the will of God and in wisdom and understanding. You should be bearing fruit. There should be, there should be you know, you should be able to have a conversation about eschatology. You should be able to have a conversation about our spiritual gifts for today. Why? Because you're growing, it's not just about the gospel, but the gospel is, is the foundation of what we believe, and we don't move past it. But the question is, is, you know, do you, are you growing? Like, you know, are you, are you continually um, gaining more and more knowledge every day, and are you applying that knowledge to your life? That's really the question, and that, what, what, that's what the, he, the writer in Hebrews is saying. He's saying, man, you guys should be able to be teachers now. You've been believers for, if you've been a believer for 20 years, um, you should probably know a good little bit about the Bible. You should, you know, if you've said, hey, I'm a believer and I've been a believer for, you know, whatever, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, whatever it is, you probably should know the Bible pretty well because it's what you should have been investing in in your life. And I'm not here to suggest you're not a Christian or, or whatever, but what I'm saying is that uh, that suggests there's some work to do. Like we need to get in the word and we need to grow in the Lord. And, and that's what the, the writer of the Hebrews is saying. You know, once we receive the gospel, our call is then to become disciples. We get discipled so that when we can become disciples. That's why he's saying you should be able to teach somebody else. The awesome thing is, is you don't have to know a whole bunch to begin to disciple people. You can, you can start right where you are. And, and, and what will happen is as you do that, you'll grow in your own faith. As you, you have, When you have to teach somebody else something, you have to know it. You, you, you can't fake through that. You, you have to know that. And so it makes you get into the Word. But that's what the writer's saying. He's saying, man, you guys haven't invested in the Word of God. You guys haven't invested in, in, in growing in your faith. And many, many Christians are in this place where they have not moved past infancy in their, in their faith. They've not moved past. They're, they're a one-month-old baby or they're a three-month-old baby or they're a six-month-old baby, and they're okay with that. But I would say that that is a walk that is not worthy of the Lord and not pleasing of the Lord. The Lord wants us to grow, folks. He wants us to, to grow so that we can go so that we can give, right? He wants us to progress in our faith, Um, you know, and and here's the thing is it's not going to keep you out of heaven if you don't, you know, because your salvation is not based on how well you're doing. It's not based on you at all. It's based on Jesus. But the secondary part of coming to Christ and gaining salvation is that my life becomes more and more like Jesus. Like I'm being transformed on a a, a, a hopefully a daily basis, and I'm maturing in my faith, that I can move past the milk and I can start to chew on the meat. That's his prayer, that, that, they're, that, that, that they would begin to, to transform externally, that they would begin to grow externally. And there's four specific things that he prays about for them to grow in. First is a fruitful life. He says that they would be bearing fruit in every good work. A walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, is a walk that is bearing fruit in every good work. Just as the gospel itself is fruit bearing and increases, so too are we as believers called to bear fruit in every good work. That means our lives should be characterized by good works. That's not how we're saved. I love how James said it, you know, everybody's talking about their faith. Well, let me show you, know, you know, you tell me about your faith and I'll show you my works. What is he saying? What he's saying is that if you have faith, you will have works because faith without works is dead. There's no works. Do you really have faith? That's, that's what he's saying. He's trying to get, it's an, it's an introspective kind of a thing. Huh, I'm not doing any works. Do I really have faith? That's a good question. That's what he's, hopefully, that's what you will ponder from that. God created good works for you to walk in before the foundation of the world. We, I say this verse all the time. It's something that we need to memorize. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he created beforehand that we should walk in. Like God was thinking about you and he was thinking about this over here and he said, I'm going to have you do that you know it's already orchestrated it's already planned all we got to do is walk in it and there's a mystery in that because god won't make us do that even though we saw from before the foundation of the world how that works like there you you can you can choose to walk however you want but he did create you to walk in good works he did create you to do to do good works um Jesus said in John chapter 15, so how do we bear fruit? How do we do these things? Jesus said in John 15, 4 through 5, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So it. If we want to be fruit-bearing people, if we want to have a fruitful life, we have to be abiding in Jesus. We have to be seeking Jesus. We have to be resting in Him. We have to be waiting on Him. We have to abide in Him. Not only that, but we also need to walk in wisdom. We need to be walking in wisdom, and we need to apply it to our lives. James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reasonable um, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So we abide in Christ. We walk in wisdom. And by the way, if you want wisdom, if you need wisdom, James 1.5 says, just ask, you can get it. The Lord will give it to you. But finally, we need to be diligent with it. Do you know, knowledge is a stewardship thing. When we gain knowledge, we're stewards over it, and we need to um, be diligent with it. Second uh, Peter 1, 5 through 8 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Listen to this. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you want to be fruitful. You need to be on a journey to be transformed. You need to be be diligent with with the information that God has given you. you. If you get up in the morning and you read your devotion in the morning and then you don't even think about it again, and you don't even, you know, it's just like, I did it, Lord. I did my devotion, but it did, didn't make any difference in your life. You know, that's what, that's what it's not. Be diligent with it. And, and doesn't it blow your mind so oftentimes when you do read it, it's like, and then something happens later in the day and you're like, oh, that's totally for me. That, that verse earlier was just totally for this moment right now. That's how God works. And so, you know, we need to be diligent with it, applying it. Letting God increase, that we wouldn't, wouldn't be ineffective or unfruitful. Secondly, Paul prays for first a fruitful life, then an expansive mind. He says that we would be increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, will be a, will be a walk that is rooted in, in, in increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, knowledge is the basis for Uh, change in our lives. The more we expand our knowledge, the more opportunity we have to grow. Uh, Spurgeon said, regarding this, he said, you know, he probably didn't say you know, but I'm saying you know because I'm quoting him, but he said, you know, uh, you can't teach somebody something that you don't know. You have to know it. You have to grow in your knowledge of it, and that knowledge then becomes, allows you the ability to then Share it with somebody else. We need to be increasing in our knowledge. There's three specific things that expansive mind will help us grow in. Firstly, it will help us grow in truth. Second Peter three, seventeen and eighteen. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So, the more we know, the less we can be deceived. The more we know, the less we can be deceived. Secondly, an expansive mind will help us grow in freedom. John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus speaking, he says, And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The more you know, the more you have the knowledge of God, the more you will uh, the more you will be free if you apply that knowledge. Lastly, an expansive mind will help us grow in faith. Romans chapter 10 verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing through the word of Christ. So as we gain knowledge of the Lord, it increases our Uh, It helps us grow in truth, it helps us grow in freedom, and it helps us grow in faith. So Paul is praying this for them, that they would increase in the knowledge of God, that, that, that it would continue to bear fruit. Thirdly, that they would have a supernatural power, bearing strength with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul is praying that these believers would be strengthened, not with some power, not with a little power, but with all power. He's talking about the same power that raised people from the dead. He's talking about the same power that God spoke the world into existence through. Like he's talking about an almighty, sovereign kind of power that would come upon a person that they would be strengthened in all power according to his glorious might. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. That is all. The Holy Spirit is, is the manifest. Power of God, He he is the one that resides inside of us and that you know causes us to walk in power. Jesus told the disciples in Acts chapter 1-8 to wait in Jerusalem. He said, I'll just read it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. What an important prayer for a Christian. That we would be strengthened in all power, that we would be reminded that we have no power, but we need power from on high. This is what is known in in Acts 1.8. This is what is known as the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. The the Holy Spirit, and this is the only experience that um, that only believers can have. Other people can, the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit's with people in the world. That's one experience. The Holy Spirit is in us. That is for believers only. When we, when we come to Christ, He co- becomes in us. But then there's a third experience, which is what Jesus was talking about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it is the epi-experience, the upon experience which is what we call, and I don't care what you call it. You can call it the filling of the Spirit. You, we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some people... You know th- that means something else to them i'm defining what i mean by it by telling you that i'm speaking about acts chapter one verse eight it's that upon experience that we're speaking about and, and the purpose of that upon experience is that you would be a witness for the lord it's not for your you know look what i can do you know kind of like the moses thing he sticks his hand in there he's like oh you know that's not what that's not why we want power we want power to be a witness for christ that in the moment whenever that moment is that, you know, we have such a relationship with God, we understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we would, you know, allow that power to manifest itself through our life. I'm telling you that the reason why the church is the way it is today, blanket statement, is because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to to flow through us like He wants to. Like He wants to. We're afraid. We're afraid to allow the Holy Spirit, and we, we want to be confined to this little, no, just let me stay in this little neat box, this neat little Christian box, and I don't want to be too abnormal from everyone else because I don't want to stick out. But what if I told you that um, God created you to stick out? What if, what if you came to the realization that God has thought about you in this moment, that he, that he, that he planted you, on July 14th, 2019, in Columbia, Tennessee, for a reason. And that he wants, to, uh, wants his Holy Spirit to flow through you. But he won't make you. And I could go on for, for hours talking about that. But what, I, what you need to hear is that God, the Holy Spirit, is all powerful, and he wants to work through your life. And you have power from on high. But you need to unleash it you need to let him flow through you. You don't get to choose the gifts that he gives. You don't get to, you know, falsely manifest them, but you you do have to open yourself up to him and allow him to flow. We want the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon people, upon people in our church, but upon people in the the church, particularly in our country, because we we have limited, I believe, what we allow the Holy Spirit to do. How can we how can, we, how, can we, how can we get more of the Holy Spirit? Or do we need more of the Holy Spirit? No, we have everything we need, the Bible says. But you can ask. Jesus said that himself. He said, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, God's going to give that to you. So ask him and watch and see. Open yourself up and watch and see what the Lord does. Paul is praying for strength. Listen, he's praying for a power that would strengthen, not only strengthen, but cause them to endure and be patient in what? What? in the heresy, in the midst of this culture, in all that's going on around them. You know, sometimes we become so impatient and we want God, we're so, we don't want to endure through anything. You know, we're just like, oh Lord, don't make me endure through, you know, this, the the, the way that our culture is being. You know, will you just change the culture? How about he changes you? How about he gives you a little bit more endurance? How about he gets a little bit more strength? How about he gives you a little bit more patience that you can shine a little bit brighter in the midst of a dark culture? The darker the culture gets, the more you, distinct you should become, right? So, hey, let, let the culture get as dark as it wants because I'm going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. And I will, you know, we will continue to stand for the Lord. Now, the fourth thing that he prays for is a thankful heart. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and trans us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins we have a lot to be thankful for right there in that verse don't we there there's a lot to be thankful for there's four specific things that he calls out first and foremost we we ought to be thankful because we've been given an inheritance listen you have an inheritance that is far beyond any kind of inheritance that you could even fathom like, you're like, oh, man, I wish I was like uh, Bill Gates' kid. You know, I wish I, I wish was his only child so that I could have all of his inheritance. That's nothing compared to what you have. Do you realize that? Not even comparable to the kind of inheritance that's awaiting you because of what Jesus has done. You have an incredible inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. In him, Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works... All things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He, he says that you will have an inheritance, the same inheritance of the saints in light. Listen, you 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 have far more than you realize. So we ought to be thankful for that. Secondly, in Christ we have been given deliverance from the dominion of darkness. No longer does the enemy have dominion over you. Amen. No longer does the enemy have any kind of dominion. Sin and death no longer have dominion over you because you've been released by the blood of Christ and you have power through the Holy Spirit to walk in freedom. You no longer are under, you're no longer a slave to the flesh, you are a slave to Christ. You've been been given that. You've been delivered from the dominion of darkness. And man, how thankful for that. Thirdly, we have been redeemed by Christ. You know that word means to buy back. To buy back, what does that mean? That means that you owed a debt you could not pay. <laughs> you had such a debt welling up for you that there was impossible for you. Whether you were to live your life perfectly for the, from this moment on, for the rest of your life, you could not pay the debt that you owe as if good works and bad works you know, parallel work out themselves at some point. They don't. Because once you've sinned, you are in debt forever. Jesus came to redeem you. He bought you back out of that slavery. He bought you back. It, it, literally, it means to deliver by payment of ransom. And it's speaking about freeing a slave from bondage through Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2, 5 through 6, for there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus paid the unbelievable price for you, giving his own life. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering if you have any worth. Can I, can I just say that right here in this passage that God declares to you you have far more worth than you realize. That Jesus would trade his life for you. I will give you my life because I think you're worth it. Man, he is good. Man, what great, great love that he has for us. If, if, listen, if your thankful meter isn't going off right now, <laughs> man, I don't know what to tell you because we're coming to the fourth and final point here, and maybe this will do it for you. But we've been given forgiveness in Christ. Forgiveness. Before you can really fully receive the gospel, do you know what you have to come to the realization of? You need forgiveness. Before you can, you can call on Jesus, before you can just say, hey, I just want to go to heaven, you have to come to the realization that you're a sinner, that, that there's no way for you to get to heaven outside of Jesus. Why does Jesus have to be the mediator for you? Because you have sinned, and it's your sin that is that is distancing God from you. And so Jesus said, I'll buy you back, and I will, I will give you, I will allow, God will, be you'll be reconciled to God, and you will be forgiven for your sins. Man, if the weight did not lift off you when you came to Christ, then you don't understand salvation. Because... The weight of our sin was so heavy, and that's why Jesus said, you know, he he said, listen, all you who who labor and are heavy laden, he's talking about somebody that's trying to work their way to God, all you who are labor and are, are heavy laden, come to me. Why? Because I'll put my yoke on you. It's a yoke of grace. He'll put his yoke of grace on you, and he said, for my burden is easy, or for my, what is it? Help me out here. Yeah, what you said. Exactly. For my burden is easy and my whatever, yoke, whatever it is. Whatever. <laughs> Apply knowledge to your life. I don't know. So uh, but listen, you've been forgiven if you've come to Christ. And that should produce a thankful heart. Like, oh man, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I I I, I don't always walk around with a smile on my face, but we should but we should because he's done so much. I mean, here's just four things that Paul says. Let me show you what, why you should be thankful. I thank God because, you know, uh, you have an inheritance. You've been delivered. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. That should put a smile on your face no matter what else is going on in your life. You should just walk around going, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. A walk worthy of the Lord, one that is pleasing to him, Is rooted in thankfulness it's rooted in thankfulness Paul's prayer for these believers is that they would grow both internally and externally that they would first have an understanding of the knowledge of the will of God and that they would gain wisdom and understanding to apply that knowledge into their life and then then from that would birth this walk that would be worthy Of the lord and be fully pleasing to him his prayer is not simply just for these believers do you know that it's for you it's also for you and this is a prayer that we should take from colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14 and we should pray over other people say lord will you will you grow us both internally and externally will you help us uh to be a brighter light in a dark world Let's not pray the wrong prayer. Lord, will you change them? But let's pray the right prayer. Lord, will you change me? Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And man, what a powerful few verses that we have before us. And we ask you to allow your spirit even now to to, uh, cause the fruit to come out of it that you would desire for us, Lord. And... Maybe here this morning, we're reminded that we're called to a life of growth, not a life of stagnancy. And uh, perhaps we're here this morning and we're, we're, we're saying, Lord, I, ne- I need to, to go beyond where I am today. Would you, would you just by your spirit right now help us, Lord, to move, to move from where we are to where we're supposed to be, where you desire for us to be? Would you just, would you cause your spirit to come upon us as we read earlier? The same kind of uponness in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we would be witnesses that would, would, would be lights unto Jesus Christ in this dark world? Lord, we're asking you to change us, we're asking you to, to fill us and to use us. We thank you that that's your will. That you have already sent us. And so perhaps maybe today we're just returning to what it is that you've already called us to do. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for the cross of Jesus. We thank you for salvation this morning, Lord. And we ask that if there are anyone here this morning that doesn't have a right relationship with you, that they can come into that place of relationship with you by calling out upon your name. as we sang earlier, the powerful name of Jesus. There is no other name that can save. And so if there's anyone here this morning, God, will you give them the boldness? Will you give them the understanding? Will you give them wisdom and understanding to apply the knowledge that they have now? And simply confessing, Lord, I'm a sinner and I've totally blown it, but you've sent your son Jesus for me and I'm turning away from my life of sin, and I want to I be set free, and I want to be on a new trajectory. Lord, will you transform my life through the gospel this morning? Will you, I believe in Jesus that he died, he rose again from the dead for me, and I receive him as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, it's not the word so much, it's the heart. And so would you just, as we end the service, Lord, will you, by your spirit, just have your way in us now? And we just thank you in Jesus' name.